Well, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and one of the things that I think we, we need to stress as we go in through the series, because some of these topics that we, we are addressing are actually, are actually quite, quite difficult to address. But this series on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, we have to remember what Christ is trying to teach in this, in this series, in the sermon that he preached on that mountain. Probably the most well-known sermon that has ever been preached. And it's about discipleship. It's more than being a Christian. Because this term Christian can be interpreted to whatever way anybody wants to interpret that word. And, and through the centuries, that word has been used pretty extensively, and interpreted in many ways. But discipleship means follower of Jesus Christ, following him. So it's applying his principles to our lives and the way we change our lives because of those principles. And one of the, you know, for me personally, one of the things I... I I personally am a believer and, and a follower of Jesus is because if you apply those principles to your life, you find that you find contentment, that you find joy, that your life is less stressful, that you have good relationships with your, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbor. And I think overall, there's actually overwhelming evidence simply by behavior as to why the principles of follow of Jesus are so sound. And they have been around for centuries and they still continue to exist to this very day. I was listening to uh, someone re recently <clears throat> who was actually a, a clinical psychologist and, and some of you might know him. He became famous not because of his, uh, of his study in clinical psychology, but for other reasons, but his name is Jordan Peterson. <clears throat> But he has actually gone back and taken a look at the Bible, and he has started off with Genesis, and he hopes to work through the whole Bible doing this, and taking a view of the Bible from a clinical psychology point of view. And it was, it's actually profound listening to him, because these principles and the way he explains it, we have these documents that have been around for centuries, four, five thousand years, you know, it depends on, on, on who you believe. But for, for centuries, these documents have been around. And yet, those documents have never gone away. People still live their lives according to those documents. And why is that? There's been many attempts to destroy the teachings of God, the true God, the God that we know. And yet it has never been destroyed. Because the principles that are taught in those documents are so sound. And as people live their lives according to those documents, they found that those principles enrich their lives. 
And this is how we have to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Christ teaching these things from a point of view of how to enrich our lives. So let's read. We in, um, today's topic is adultery, which is like, how did I end up with this topic? <laughs> but it did, and so I'm addressing it. And in fact, when I, well, I was telling someone earlier, when I first got this topic, it's like, oh man, why do I have to address this? And I, I really have no great interest in addressing it, but <clears throat> as I started studying it, I realized, wow, there's some profound things here that, that I'm actually quite pleased to talk about uh, today. <clears throat> so Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was, it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you what, that whoever looks at a woman to, to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you to have one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And then Deuteronomy 5 verse 18, you shall not commit Adultery. The world has changed dramatically, and it seems in, in the last 10 or 20 years, there's even been far more dramatic change. And really, it has been happening for over a century. What was right is now become wrong, and what was wrong has now become right, and people become very confused about their beliefs. Morality has become not an absolute anymore. Truth is what you think it to be. And I think we begin to see the evidence of that in this world. It has become very difficult to believe what you believe based on sound principles. I was actually... Um, I was actually doing some research for this, and I, uh, I, I can quote a ton of statistics about, specifically about adultery. And I was absolutely, absolutely surprised. So specific topic of adultery, if you go to the web and start do, doing research on adultery, most of the articles that you will find is not condemning adultery. Some of them are justification. Some of them are the psychology of adultery. Very few, very, very few articles about the consequences of adultery. There's probably nobody in this room who has not been affected by some sexual indiscretions. Um, <clears throat> If you, if you have not been touched by it in your family or your friends, then consider yourself to be blessed. Because we all have. 
We all know the consequences of today's world. Sexual indiscretion is totally available and available everywhere. It is, not, it is actually more difficult to avoid it than not. And here's a few, here's a few statistics that I, that I found that were, were somewhat interesting. And some of these come from George Bonner, if you know who he is. He's a Christian psychologist who does a lot of research in, on, on Christian behavior. Of people who consider themselves born-again Christians, 5% considered it morally acceptable to commit adultery. 5%. That doesn't sound like a high number, but you think of it. These are people who classify themselves as born-again Christians. Morally acceptable. Of that same group of people, 58%, 58% felt it was all right and morally acceptable to have sexual fantasies. According to whatever sexual fantasies is, I mean, so you, you think about whatever you want about sex, as long as you don't act on those fantasies, it's morally acceptable to, to do that. According to Christianity Today, people by the age 40, these are Christians, 65% of men have committed adultery. Of women, 55%. Of pastors, pastors, 23%. Those numbers are somewhat disturbing, I think. The problem with adultery is that adultery has consequences. And as I spoke a little earlier, we've all seen the consequences of it. And if you're involved in an adulterous situation, whether you're the innocent party or not, especially if you're the innocent party, you probably know what the hurt is like, the pain and the anguish that goes along with that. Adultery You, not, you do not commit adulterous or have an affair for social norms or, or expectations that, uh, that are placed upon you. The reason you don't do it is the respect for your spouse. It's respect for your spouse. Someone put it this way, adultery is not necessarily about sex, it's about betrayal. It's betraying your spouse. And then, and there's a ton of studies about this, there's a lot of studies about this, adultery leaves a legacy. 
And yes, four things that I found quite interesting, and there's a whole list of these things. There's a lot more of the consequences of, of, of uh, adultery, and especially of children of, uh, of parents who have committed, one of the parents, have, at least one of the parents have committed adultery. Number one symptom amongst these, co- these children is that these children learn thoughtlessness. They don't care how they behave, and they don't care of the consequences that results from their behavior. It's a taught behavior. If your parent commits adultery, obviously they're not thinking about the consequences of their behavior. And so naturally the child is going to imitate that, that behavior. Number two, and this is the, probably the most profound and most negative thing can come out of this. Children are less likely to trust. It is very difficult, it is more difficult for them to get into relationships and trust anybody in, in a romantic uh, relationship because of the behavior that they've seen in their parents. And then there's the guilt that goes along with that. Many children feel guilty and are ashamed by the behavior of their parents. And the fourth one that I thought was pretty profound is that they often blame fault on themselves. They often blame themselves for their children's behavior. And so they take on that guilt that does not belong to them, that belongs with their parents. So what is the Jesus way? So if we go back to our text, what is the Jesus way? And I think there's some principles that we have to remember as we study this topic. Number one, we always have to see Jesus first as the Savior and then as the teacher. Jesus came first to save this world. He came to set us free from sin. He came to condemn, not to condemn, but to save. John 3, 17, came to, con- came to this world to, to save, not to condemn. And that's how we have to look at the story of, of uh, the way Jesus addresses these, these texts. I remember when I was in college, and this is, uh, <laughs> this is quite, quite humorous, actually. I remember this topic coming up. Not once, multiple times. I remember discussing it because it was, it was, there I was, you know, in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s. And um, if you've looked at a woman and thought, had these thoughts about it, I've uh, committed adultery. And I dare any man in this room to raise a hand and say, I have never had those thoughts in my mind, ever. And so the question that came up is, how do we prevent those thoughts from happening? And usually that, that conversation also, I don't know why, but it, it, um, <clears throat> it's not really related, but it was always, the, the topic always came up about, whether it's right to have sex on Sabbath or not. <laughs> Ask me why, I don't know. 
And so I remember, I remember these debates. How do we prevent our minds from going where they go naturally? I don't think you can. I don't believe you can. It's impossible. But we have to remember this. Christ did not come into this world to teach high ideals or hard teachings. He was trying his best to counteract those teachings. Those teachings are the Pharisees. That was his battle. Taking this legalistic opinion about adultery, and we, we, when, if you come from a legalistic background and you hear Christ saying to you, if you've seen a woman and lust after her, you have committed adultery, and you say to yourself, well, that has happened to me many times. How does that happen? How can Jesus be writing this? If we look at these verses, you can break those verses up into three different parts. And it's really, and this is what, what Jesus is trying to teach, is how to remove lust-creating practices. So if we look at the first verse, verse 27, he's identifying the legalistic view of adultery. And the, the commandments purely says, you shall not commit adultery. Christ is not challenging that statement. He's identifying what was tried to be imposed upon people in those days, and still to this day. And if you come from a legalistic point of view, we come to our second point of view, and when Christ says, if you have looked at a woman and lusted after her, you have committed adultery, immediately a legalistic mind would say, Christ is telling me I must not have bad thoughts. And if he created me to think along these ways, how can I counteract that? And what Christ is trying to say is this. We know this is what the commandments say. He's now identifying the behavior. <clears throat> the behavior is lusting after women. And by the way, this, this topic is, is more geared towards men than it is towards women. Christ is very specific in addressing men over here in these, in the, in these texts. And so he's identifying the cycle. If we allow ourselves to get into the cycle of a, this vicious cycle of allowing our minds to go to places where they shouldn't go, we are identifying, and, and, and he identifies these by the next uh, two verses. Next verse, verse 28, he says, 
But I say to you that whoever looks to a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he provides a solution. And these are probably difficult texts for some of us to understand. Because he says, what does he say? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is better for you to remove that than to be condemned to hell. And the same thing about your right hand. So I think there's no legal, no uh, biblical scholar who says that Christ has been literal in what he was saying over here. What Christ was saying, this is hyperbole. Christ is exaggerating a situation to make a point. What he is saying to us is don't allow yourselves to go there. Aggressively avoid situations that put you in that place. Because if you don't aggressively avoid it, it's going to happen. And in today's world, it's easy. It's, it's so ironic. This, this morning, I, was, I, I read the news every morning. And one of the news items that came up, and this is purely coincidental, in this weekend in Worcestershire in England, there's a festival going on called the Swinger Festival, or Swinger Festival. I don't know if you know what that is, and I'm not going to explain it. If you need to know, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Swinger Festival. Don't, don't look for it. You don't want to look for it. I read the first paragraph, and I, I couldn't read any further. It, it was so disgusting. And I thought, how do people do this? How do people do this? Why do they do it? If you find yourself at night, late at night, when you're in your office or your room by yourself, and you tend to go to the web and start looking for that pornography... Sell your computer. Get that computer out of your house. That is what Christ is saying. If you have a cell phone that you are using to go and find this type of information, sell your cell phone and buy a flip phone. You don't need it. This is what Christ is saying. Get rid of that temptation. If you go to places where you can see Semi-naked woman, don't go there. If you see situations and you linger on those situations, turn your eyes away from it. Walk away from it. Christ is being dramatic here, but he wants you to take aggressive and dramatic steps in avoiding, in, in avoiding these situations. This is not condemnation. 
This is practical advice on how to deal with the situation. Because your mind will go there. That's the first thing that you have to recognize. Your mind will go there. Avoid it. Practical solution. He's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to save you. One of the things that we have to realize is that when we're caught up in sin, there's a bondage that goes with sin. You are enslaved by it. And it is horrible. I have talked to people who have been enslaved by the situation. And their families are enslaved by it. And Christ said, I came to this world to set you free from this bondage of sin. And here's some of the ways I want you to do it. He's not condemning you. He's trying to set you free. So what do we do? Number one, understand God and his love and his grace. Have respect for God. Some people say fear God. Number two, aggressively avoid temptation. Aggressively avoid temptation. Number three, aggressively work on your relationship with your spouse. Aggressively work on relationships with your spouse. Do not take your spouse for granted. Treat them with respect. Love them. Take care of them. Think of your children. Think of your heritage that you leave behind. You have a lot to leave behind. Either you leave good behind or you leave bad behind. What heritage are you leaving your children? And number four, teach your children right and wrong. I think it's one of the biggest problems that we have in the world today. There's often, and I've heard this many times, oh, well, they are going to do it. Well, have you ever drawn the lines? Have you ever drawn the lines and say, do not go beyond this line? And it actually is quite surprising. Children are less likely to misbehave when when their parents have told them where the lines are, what is right and what is wrong. And if we do not teach them right and wrong, they're obviously going to go to the natural way. And what is the natural way? It's a sinful way. And number number five, never stop loving. Never, never stop loving. Love is so powerful. And if you've ever found yourself in a situation and have had to endure the hurt and the pain of those relationships, don't give up. Continue loving. 
because they need your grace just as much as they need Christ's grace. And sometimes that is extremely difficult. And in fact, in most times, it is extremely difficult. But we have to endure. Christ came to this world to set us free from the bondage of sin. He did not come into this world to condemn us. And he wants you to be a disciple, not for the sake of being a disciple, but also for your own good. There are benefits that come out of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And those, those benefits are a peaceful life, a happy life, a happy family, a happy community, good relationships. And what more do we want in life? Really, what more do we need in life? Think on these things. Father, we thank you for purchasing our pardon on Calvary's tree. We thank you for the grace, <clears throat> for, the sh for the way you treat us, even though we don't deserve it. And our Lord, I pray that we look at today's teaching and if it applies to me, may I apply it to my life. May I see Christ as the one who's to, who wants to redeem us from that sin of bondage and slavery to sin. The one who's concerned about me and my family and my community. Thank you for your love. We pray this in your loving name. Amen.